and I could see them and I was like speaking directly to them. So after like 10 minutes, whatever, I just felt to stop. So I stop and I'm just sitting in my car driving. And um, the Lord was like, you shifted something in the spirit. Now just watch and see what happens. And I was like, okay, is, this is great. Like I'm thinking, you know, revival's going to break out. Like the strongholds are broken. We're going to find out these shamans come out be like, ah, oh, everything's ruined. The next morning, man, one of our churches in Cape Dorset is literally on fire, not spiritually like burning for God. It was physically burning because someone lit it on fire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. On this show, we capture the stories of people's encounters with Jesus and what fuels them to walk with him every day. Friends, Disciple of City exists to see the Great Commission fulfilled. For more information on how you can be equipped to share the gospel, check out everydisciplesent.ca. And follow the Toddcast on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. Friends, two years ago this March, my guest today met Bill Prankert and has since become Bill's personal assistant for the ministry of the Bill Prankert Evangelical Association. He did two years at seminary right here in Peterborough, graduating with a bachelor's in religious education in 2019. Within four weeks post-grad, he was married and started out as a youth pastor. But his path really changed, literally, when he met Bill. Please welcome Jacob Walda. Hey. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, bro. How are you? It's been a joy to get to know you and to be here today. Yeah. Come on. Glad you could come, bro. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity to travel to the Arctic with Jacob, and uh, that was really awesome. We'll hear a little bit about that today. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Doing well, bro? Doing super good. You were in Florida, a little opposite to (laughs) the Arctic? Yeah. Todd and I went from, what, minus 30, minus 40, and then a couple days later, it was like 85, almost 90. How was that on your body? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I needed the sun. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So Jacob, um, let's, well, you grew up a Christian, but let's dive into it. In the green room, you were talking about, uh, you were talking about being born in Woodstock. Yeah. And, uh, born and raised. Yeah. And just a little funny story of tractor day at school <laughs> tractor has day. nothing to do with the show, but can you just share that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Woodstock is, um, definitely a farming town in Southwestern Ontario. It's changed a lot in the last few years, but at the time, most of our kids were coming in from the country and we had kids from all over the place and we had tractor day in the last week of school. And we'd have probably two or three dozen tractors. Kids would drive in their big farm, like the plow kind of tractors, you know, dual wheels on the back. Daddy's kind of big John Deere's and park them in the driveway. That's what they did every year. It was tradition. That's awesome. Yeah. Very different than here. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So dude, a lot of times, uh, on the show, we, you know, talk about how you grew up in the past and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But, uh, I I just wanted to spend really the bulk of the time talking about what you're doing now and in the Arctic and stuff, but just to, to sort of precursor that, Mm -hmm. um, obviously you grew up Christian, but pretty young to go into seminary, like in the sense of obviously you knew where you wanted to go. So can you just talk about your faith pre-seminary? What, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why you wanted to go into there and what, where your heart was in those days. Yeah. So in high school, I actually had a call from God to go into ministry and, uh, really had no understanding of the gospel. Uh, would go to church on Sundays. You know, we 
Pentecostal church. And my grandpa was basically the only one I ever heard speak in tongues and interpret. And that was it. Never saw anybody healed, really touched by the power of God. It was just, I go to church because God likes it when I go to church. And maybe one day I'll go to heaven because <laughs> Jesus died for me. Right. So when I got to high school, I got into all kinds of, you know, pornography and sexual sin really young and always had some moral compass to a degree. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do drugs. That was a big no, no, but the rest of it seemed fine. And then, uh, at that time really wrestling with, you know, what's my identity and what does God want for me? And he's like, go to ministry. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go into ministry. I want to be a basketball player. And my whole dream, my whole life was to play college basketball. And so when I had the opportunity in grade 12 to choose where I wanted to go to school, I ended up going to Redeemer University. It's a small uh, private Christian school, but they had a basketball program. And so I thought, you know, this is great. I'll kind of do the Christian school thing that God wants me to do while also doing what I really wanted to do, which was play basketball. Um, Ended up getting in a big mess there. Um, by my third year, you know, we were hosting parties. I was the one getting drunk with everybody. I was the one cussing up a storm and just like basically had walked away from the Lord, still believed that Jesus was real and that he was the savior, but at the same time, just pleasing every bit of me. And I was a mess and God was like, Hey, I want you to go to ministry. I ended up laying down for two weeks straight. I had a concussion. Couldn't like, I was sleeping 18 hours a day from, from basketball, from basketball. And I was so mad at God. I was like, God, why did you bring me here? If all I was going to do is get injured. And God's like, Hey, I never brought you here. This was your decision. And that made me more mad at God. And I was like, God, you're kidding. Like you could have saved me, protect me. And I was like, what do you want? What do you want for my life? And God's like, I want you to go to ministry. And I was like, no, I'm a drunk. Like, you can't use me. Like, God, forget it. Like, I have zero good things to offer. Dropped out, moved home. During that time back home, I saw my parents who were undergoing their own spiritual journey and transformation. And I saw for the first time people who actually had loved God. And they weren't just living this religious, you know, I go to church on Sunday life. And my mom was talking about God like he was really personal. And it shifted and I'd never heard that before. And so it began to just grow in me like this thought of maybe there's a little more to this whole Jesus thing than just, you know, going to heaven. So that kind of started, you know, a little bit of a journey for me, very slow. Um, But at that point, God was like, I really want you to go to school. I want you to go to Bible school. And I was like, I don't know, man. And then my little sister right after that was like, hey, guys, like God's called me to ministry and I have no fear anymore. So I'm going to go to Bible college in the fall. And this is in January. And I was like, oh no, like this is great. <laughs> and then my dad, like a couple of weeks after he goes, Hey bud, like haven't told your mom this yet, but like I've been disobedient since I was your age and I uh, just, I have to be obedient to God. I got to go into ministry. So I got to go to Bible college. And I was like, oh no, like me too. <laughs> so right after that, I was like, I didn't want to be like my dad, you know, 49 years old going back to school. So I was like, God, I'm going to do this kind of out of spite in a way of like, I'm not doing it when I'm 50. So I might as well do it now. Still had no concept of the gospel. Same weekend I moved in. We moved in on Sunday, Friday night. I was blackout drunk in my best friend's backyard because I was like, I'm going to heaven one day. I got baptized. Like, I'm good, you know? Get to Bible Bible college, man. Start reading the Bible. It messed me up. Start reading. Isn't that an interesting statement? <laughs> Started reading the Bible. Starting, yeah. Yeah. And because I'd only done it to fulfill my religious commitment. Yeah. Right? Which was my daily devotion to the Lord. A verse here, a verse there, and that was it. And then I start reading the Bible, man. And it's like, Jesus is like, hey, you're going to lay hands on the sick and the sick will get well. 
And I'd already had this encounter with the Lord. So now I'm just like, I'm in God, whatever you say. So I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, he said that. And we were learning, you know, Bible college about context. Who's, who's he speaking to and all this stuff. He was speaking to every believer. He said, any believer would do this if you believe. So I was like, man, I believe I'm going to start praying for the sick. So in our school, man, we had a, we had a girl with uh, scoliosis. She got healed in a prayer room. We had people get healed from all kinds of things, man. And it was just like, okay, that's, this is it. I'm going to give my life to the Lord because not only did I know him by his love, but now I'm encountering him by his power. Started seeing demons in the spirit. And this was all really new, like just brand new. And then from there, it was just like a process of growing in that. And uh, during that time, you know, ended up meeting my wife. And that's how we ended up, you know, getting married uh, was through Selwyn. Uh, their young adults program ended up going to youth pastoring and same thing, just carrying that passion for the Lord. And it's never, it's never dwindled. I was told, you know, it's going to dwindle after your first year, you're going to go in f- like on fire for God. It's going to burn out. And I was like, no, man. Yeah. Like, why do people say that? Eh? I don't know. Maybe I, they see that happen to some, but I think so. I think part of it is, um, you get really puffed up. It's really easy when you think you know everything to be like, oh, I know I have all the answers for the church. I'm going to be the savior of the church. And it's like, well, no, Jesus is the savior. And there are things wrong with the church, obviously, but no matter where you go, nothing's perfect. Yeah. So what can we find that's good? And the areas of lack, how can we help partner and make things better for everybody? And so that was it. And then, man, it was just messy after that. The Lord just messed me and Julia up big time. And uh, we try to do the same with our youth, bring them the power and the love of the Holy Spirit. Well, so, sorry, it. hang on. Just before you, you get into that, um, yeah. as you were growing up and you talked about how, you know, you were living a certain way, but at the same time you were having like conversations with God or you were hearing from God, were you like legit hearing from God or was it like you're, you know how sometimes we pray and sort of we feel like we're in a conversation with the Lord, yeah. but then you actually hear from him? Yeah. Right. So, or, or, or was that your kind of like your spiritual struggle, if you will? I think it would be maybe more of a spiritual gift that I didn't realize. Mm. It wasn't like an audible voice, but it was like, even this morning I was sitting in my prayer shed and, um, I've just been learning to abide where it's not like, I'm not praying, I'm not worshiping. I'm just sitting and waiting, waiting for him to come. And then after like maybe five or 10 minutes, I just felt him come into the room, like just this feeling. And then in my head, I heard this voice, that still small voice say, I'm here, right? And it's been that same voice ever since I was young, but I always just thought these were my thoughts, right? So I'm hearing this thing in my head be like, go to, go to seminary, go to Bible college. I'm calling you to the ministry. And it's like, well, that's not a me thought because I don't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player. So I never realized and no one really helped me understand from a young age that that was actually God speaking to me. Mm. And I'd, I'd miss that. Um, opportunity to actually know that God does speak to us. And he spoke to me a lot. And I didn't realize that. I just thought it was my own voice having a conversation. But in reality, it really was God just speaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so key to press into that and, and navigate and have somebody perhaps, especially when you're young or maybe just new to faith, help you yeah. understand what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. So you finished seminary. You met Julia while you were at school. Uh, yeah, I didn't meet her at school, but, um, while you were attending, yeah, while yeah. I was attending. So you finish seminary, you get married and you start as a youth pastor, bang, 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 just right quick, right quick. Yeah. It was fast. Very, very dramatic <laughs> life change. Our life just feels truly. And I've has always been just dramatic, big changes, you know, marriage going from Bible college students 
or a student living with my parents to then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm leading a ministry in, in a really big church in Toronto area, newly married in a house. That's huge stuff. Yeah. Big stuff. Right. Yeah. Big boy, adult stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So you, you pastored, you youth pastored there, uh, for a while mm-hmm. and then, um, well, if you have stories about that, you can share them, but, uh, do you have some stories you want to share about that? Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorites, we um, we actually ended up taking some of our youth out on the streets of um, a, a city in Durham region because we wanted to show them like uh, street ministry and just what it's like to share the gospel with people just on the road. And so I was with two of my boys. They were, one was in grade 10, one was in grade 11. And, um, you know, they had never done this before, never shared their faith, but they were excited. They were just on fire for God. And so for like 40 minutes, we were walking around and, and they were like, it's okay. Like we've got this. And I'm like, great. I'll just sit back and watch every person they met. They were like, hi, how's your day going? And man, it was uncomfortable. People would just stare straight ahead and like beeline it past them. And like, we probably met over a dozen people and every person wouldn't even give them the time of day to say hello. Mm. And so after like 40 minutes, they're looking at me just heartbroken. Like, man, like they didn't say any words, but I was like, man, I just felt so bad for them. So the next time I was like, Hey guys, like I'll take the next one and just like maybe give you guys a bit of a break and see what happens. So we ended up meeting this young guys like 19 or 20. And, um, we were just like, I was like, Hey man, like, how you doing? He's like, good man. Like, what are you guys doing out here? Like very high energy kind of guy. I was like, man, like we're just out sharing the gospel. Have you ever heard it? And he's like, no, what, it, what, what is that? So we shared the gospel with this guy and he looks at me, he cocked his fist and he goes, what would you do if I punched you in the face right now? And he's like a young, like big kid. He's six, two. And I was like, man, here's the thing. Punch me all you want. I said, it's never going to change God's love for you. And the fact that Jesus died for you because he cares for you. And he put his hand down. And he goes, I've never heard anyone talk that way before. He goes, you actually believe that, don't you? And I was like, man, I, I believe it 100%. Like God cares for you, man. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then he's like, but what about hell? You know, you believe in hell. And we just talked about hell for like five minutes. And then at the end of this whole thing, he's like, man, I got a lot to think about. Like, no one's told me this before. Mm. And so at the end of this whole thing, you know, my guys who had never, <laughs> never had the opportunity to share, then get to sit and watch this interaction where I'm physically threatened. And then on top of that, able to share the reality of hell with somebody, which we, we can miss sometimes in evangelism. Yeah. And these guys were just like, man, that was awesome. And so for me, that was one of the highlights because then for them, they would share stories with me, sharing the gospel at school. I'd seen them, you know, after I'd ended a youth pastoring and they were like, Pastor Jacob, like, it's so good to see you. Like, I've been sharing the gospel with my friends, man. I just have no fear anymore. And they're just set free yeah. from fear. And, and that was just like a part of um, what we had done. And so it's just a really special, that was a really special moment to me. It, it hurts my heart to hear when you hear people say, no, I've never heard the gospel before or no one's ever told me that. Yeah. Uh, that, it's pretty common. And I think it is common I and think, it's very saddening. I think we just have this thought that, you know, Canada is a Christian, was a Christian nation and, and everyone's heard the gospel. And it's like that we've got missionaries coming from around the world to Canada and the U S because Canada is now a, a field of opportunity yeah. for people who've never heard the gospel. And we're sending missionaries to Africa and most of Africa is saved. <laughs> you know, they've got some of the biggest, fastest growing churches in the world. And then here we are in Canada and we've got people like one of our ministry friends was flying one time and he met this businessman in his forties. 
And he's sitting beside him and he's like, hey man, like what's that black book you're reading? And our ministry friend was like, hey, it's a Bible. And he's like, I've never seen one of those. What's, what's it about? Wow. In his 40s and a Canadian never heard the gospel, never even seen a Bible, never heard about Jesus. And so here he has an opportunity to share the gospel with this guy for the first time. Right. And it's like, it, it's actually very common. People just have never heard the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. I personally kind of feel like there's a generation in yeah. this country or perhaps North America that grew up under a lot of guilt, shame and condemnation mm. and th- not wanting to pass that forward, obviously. Yeah to the next generation has brought forward where we are today, where there's this huge gap of people that have not heard Mm -hmm. the positive truth of the gospel. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. It is. Um, so Jacob, you, um, so you're youth pastoring, you're attending a church up here. So I, I, I chatted with your boss (laughs) (laughs) and, and so I, I know the backstory to that, that you're attending your your church or a church that you're attending and bill comes to speak at this church. Yeah. Right. And this is where you guys have your encounter, which, which we really want to hear about. Yeah. So, uh, did you know who bill was and did you know he was going to speak at that church that day or were you just attending and bill was speaking? Yeah. So in Bible college, I had this period of time. It was very short and my wife called me out for it. And that's why I ended where I got really cynical towards anybody who would say one thing wrong. And so like I'd sit in church and so when Pastor Brian would say one thing I'd disagree with and I'd be like, Pastor Brian's a heretic. I can't believe he would say that. I hate this church. And Julie was like, well, you grow up. Like <laughs> she said that phrase to me. I'm like, yes, you're right. Because I'd, I'd just become so hard in my heart thinking I knew everything. And so Bill was coming to the church. I, I'd never heard of Bill before. And this is like when I'm still in Bible college before um, youth pastoring. And uh, I was like, you know, I've, I've never gone. I'd like to hear what he has to say. And this is kind of right at the end of that phase. So I'm, I'm still learning, you know, about the gifts and learning about the move of Holy Spirit. And so at the end, I don't remember anything Bill spoke on, but at the end he goes, if you want more of God and you want the fire of God, I want you to come up to the front. So I go up to the front, I'm standing at the front, Bill comes by, lays hands on me, whatever, keeps going. I open my eyes, man. I am the only person still standing at the front out of like probably 20 of us. Everyone's on the ground. And I was like, oh man, I was like, I think I've missed something. Not because I I should be on the ground, but because I feel like I've hardened my heart towards what God wants for us. And so I said, Lord, if this is really you, I'll go down. That was just my understanding. I'll go down under the power, whatever this is. If this is you, let me be touched by, by you. Bill comes by and he just poked his finger in my belly. And man, I felt like he wound up with a glove on and gave me a sucker punch to my gut. It was just like the power of God hit me and I was on the ground. So that was, you know, in 2018, probably first time ever. Don't remember anything he spoke on. And then when we were youth pastoring, um, we were still kind of connected with Selwyn. And so Nathan had actually posted, hey, Bill Prankert's coming. And it was during this time um, where Julie and I were kind of wrestling with, you know, do we stay at the church? Do we not? I had just resigned. We had totally just stepped out in faith. Uh, Like, I don't know if you want me to share that whole part as well, but it was just like a this big step for us of just like, okay, we, we think our time here at the church is done. We don't know what's next. We are resigning. That was in February. And then in March, Nate had posted, Hey, Bill Prankert's coming. And Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly and said, you need to go to this service. And I said, I don't want to go. And the Lord was like, you have to go. And so I told you, I said, I don't care if you come or not, whatever. I need to go. I don't know why God told me I have to go to this service. 
That's what Julia said. No, that's what I told Julia. Oh, 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 she didn't want to go. No, I said I don't know if you want to go or not. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. I like, thought you, you said you want to come. Great. Yeah. If not, great. Like I understand. Like we we had no affiliation with Bill. Yeah, we had no real grasp on why I was supposed to go. What he was going to even talk about. But there was just something that was like I have to go to this service, and so that's how we ended up at Selwyn. Yeah, on that night. And that night, Bill shares his vision that he had had years and years and years yeah, ago. He's pouring his heart out, sharing his vision he had 50 years ago. Yeah. And in January that year, I took a, a fast for 30 days. And I said, Lord, the scripture says, if I seek you and your kingdom first and your righteousness, all it will be added. And so I said, Lord, I have questions and things I need answers to. I don't know where, if I'm supposed to stay at this church, I don't know if we're meant to submit to some things for a season. I don't know if you're meant, like if we're calling, if you're calling us out into something different. But I said, I know that if I pursue you, that I'll find all my answers. I'll seek first your kingdom and then everything else will be added. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So for 30 days, that's what I did. I just pursued the Lord. I started having these dreams and visions like crazy. Like I'd never had dreams and visions before. I had to call Anne Marie. And I was like, because Adam had suggested, you know, Anne Marie knows a lot about dreams. And I was like, Anne Marie, I'm having dreams. I don't understand them. Like, help me, please. <laughs> and uh, so she was just precious through that time. So then I'm listening to Bill share his vision from 50 years ago. It was 49 years ago at that point. And I'm sitting there laughing. And Bill's literally just pouring his heart out. I'm looking at Adam, who's across the church, because I'd shared Adam, like the dreams that I had the exact same dreams, exact same vision. The only difference was that his, like there was a part of it that happened in Ottawa and a part of mine happened in Toronto. So here I am listening to Bill, you know, in his seventies, sharing a vision from 50 years ago, being like, okay, God, I don't know if this is just meant to be an encouragement for me, but wow, I'm fired up. So I'm sitting there in the, in the front row thinking like, I got to talk to Bill after I got to, I just want to encourage him. You know, he's 77. Like, Hey, Bill, like keep carrying this vision. God's giving it to the next generation. Like, come on, like keep going. <laughs> like, How else do you encourage somebody that's carried it for 50 years? And uh, Bill actually walked over to me and he looked at me and he just starts prophesying over my life. I have no idea what he said. <laughs> and then at the end I was like, Bill, that was amazing. But like, can I encourage you for a moment? And he's like, yeah, like, sure. So I shared the exact thing that I just shared. You know, I had these dreams and visions in January. I resigned from my church. I don't know why, but I had to. And um, Bill goes, that's crazy. And then he's like, everything in me just wants to give you a hug right now, but I can't, you know, COVID rules and stuff we weren't allowed to touch. And I told Bill, like, we can go in the back room and hug. <laughs> and Bill was like, thank God you asked. He's like, I don't want to be the old man and be like, hey, you want to go in the back room and hug? <laughs> kind of weird. Um, but that was a God moment for me. Yeah. Um, Smith Wigglesworth is my hero and somebody that I look forward to apart from Jesus, probably the most to meet one day in heaven. And, um, one of his last moments with one of his spiritual sons, it was uh, Lester Summerall. It was right during the, the second world war. So, uh, he got deported Lester Summerall from England where Smith Wigglesworth was living. And it was his last moment. And he's like, Smith, I got to go. And Smith just wrapped him. It was at his, the end of his life, wrapped him in this big hug, starts prophesying over him, just weeping, giving them this hug. And I thought to myself, man, like how special would that be to have a man of God just hug you? I just feel like it'd be hugging like Jesus in the flesh. You know, someone had just been faithful. had seen these miracles, like getting a hug from Moses or, you know, Paul or Peter, like people had just been with him. Like I felt like that would be something special. And I told the Lord, you know, I'd love 
I'd love to have a hug someday. And then I laughed because I said, first of all, where are you going to find a man of God? And then second of all, you can't just walk up to them and be like, hey, Todd, give me a hug. Yeah. Like, I want a hug. <laughs> it's weird. And so it was one of those things that I just kind of laid before the Lord. And it was like, I, I didn't even realize how special that meant to God. Because God actually, he gives us desires into our heart, but then he gives desires like that, where he's like, you want to hug a man of God? Okay, here you go. So then Bill's like, I want to give you this hug. So we go into the back hallway and we hugged and it was like this spiritual moment that I have no words to really describe what happened, but it was like God took both of our hearts and like knitted them together into one. Mm. And I felt like I, in that moment, I felt like I'd known Bill my whole life. I felt like I had been with Bill since I was young. I just felt like everything in me was like, I just, I love Bill. That was it. I, it was the Lord. And then Bill looked at me and he goes, Jacob, I think I came to Peterborough today just to meet you. And I was like, whatever that means, like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> this is all brand new. Yeah. And we both had no ideas. So we exchanged numbers and we just, we stayed in touch through that week. And, um, well, and it's, it's fascinating. Cause when I talked to bell, yeah. right. For those of you listening, this, this church is a fairly, like it's a fair sized church. So there'd be a lot of people in there, especially if someone like bill comes pack the house, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, bill talked about how he, he noticed you and he knew that there was something for you that night. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about that. He's like, God God would just speak to him in services very rarely, but just highlight people. And he said, there was like a light on you. He's like, I just couldn't shake it and didn't know why. And so that was it. That's That was the origin story of how we met. And then like two weeks later, I was up at his place in Ottawa, which is crazy, uh, staying overnight for a weekend, getting to know him and Gwen, his wife, and, and just hearing his stories and, and getting to know each other. And that just started this really beautiful relationship of just friendship. And then from there, he did a cross-country tour in uh, August, September, and October of 2021. And he said, Jacob, I'd like you to come and just serve as my personal assistant. You know, I drove him around, carried his bag, did whatever, just made sure he could just focus on ministry. And man, that shifted our relationship a lot. Like we had over a hundred hours just driving in a car, 23,000 kilometers in the air. And then you think about all the meals you have together, all that, you know, airport hangouts and post-service, pre-service and all this stuff, like hundreds and hundreds of hours with Bill yeah. over the course of a few months. And it just like expedited our relationship and just, we just it meshed. It was just so easy. We've never fought. We had one argument and it was about where our plane was. <laughs> we, he just, Bill had just misread the board because there were two flights going to the same place, the same airline, but the numbers were different. And so our flight was like seven and he was telling me it was eight. It was, that was it. That was been our only argument in, you know, a year and a half. So that's like true family then, right? Dumb stuff. Right. Just dumb <laughs> stuff. And it's like, let's either way. Yeah. Right. And, and so for us, it's just been so special and yeah, so that's, that's how we met and got connected. <laughs> yeah. And so you were under contract then for a year to, as his personal assistant and then what happened? So the last calendar year in 2021, uh, 2022, actually, I came on as his full-time personal assistant. Um, and during that year, uh, you know, Bill is in his late seventies. He had passed the ministry on to another young man and uh, the young man had just felt, you know, it's time for him to launch into his own ministry yeah. and decided to resign. And so, um, Bill was like, Hey, there's, there's stuff going on in the North. Do you want to work on that? And I was like, man, I've, this is way out of my wheelhouse. Like, I'm just here to serve you. I'm just here to be your PA, like Elijah and Elisha, where Elijah's like, Hey, stay here. And I'm going to go here. And Elisha's like, forget that. Like I'm coming with you. 
And that's what I told Bill. I said, look, as long as you're running, I'll run. When you got to walk, I'll walk with you. If I got to push you in a chair, I'll push you. Like I'm here to serve you. And then this opportunity had opened to, you know, take over some of the projects that we're doing in the North. And I said to Bill. And so when we say, or when he says North friends, we're talking, we're talking the Arctic circle. Yeah, if you're in Toronto listening to this, like it's not Muskoka. Muskoka. <laughs> no. This is like you get on a plane for three hours and go where there's no trees yeah. in the north into Nunavut. And so I said to Bill, like, I'd love to. We took our first trip up in, uh, I think it was March or April of 2022, my first time meeting Inuit people, learning a bit about their culture, and just fell in love with the people, man. It's hard not to. And the landscape and, and the culture and everything about it, I was just like, man, I, I would be honored to serve these people. I would, I would be so delighted to do whatever I can to help them grow in their relationship with God and to have the same things that I've had with the Lord, just these encounters and to see them be raised up to minister to their own people. And so um, that just kind of opened the door to start dreaming. And, and I'm a dreamer. I love to dream big. And I think God speaks to us literally in dreams, but then also just in life. And I said to Bill, like, I can't by myself serve the North. You know, there's 26 communities that you can get to by airplane. And I said, I can't, I can't serve these communities alone. We need to raise up an army of people that are going to go like disciples that would actually be raised up to go and serve these communities. And so that, that was just a conversation Bill and I had and and we loved it. He loved it. And it just turned into this thing of like, that's, that's how we're going to serve the North. We're going to raise up believers from across Canada and we're going to equip them on how to share the gospel, disciple people in the churches that are established there so that the people in Nunavut are reaching their own people. Yeah. And we're just going to raise up an army of revivalists in the North that are just going to carry the glory and the power of God. And I said, if we do this right, we'll be able to reach way more communities at once in one year than I could ever travel to, than Bill could ever travel to just on our own and to see a larger impact over time. And so that, that then turned from me just serving as Bill's assistant, you know, planning his trips, going on trips with him and serving into doing that and also now serving the North and finding ways that we could raise up disciples in the Arctic. So how many places did you go in that first year? I was in Iqaluit, which is the capital, Cape Dorset, which is, it's been described as the ghetto of Nunavut. It's the hardest community you know, the murder capital, suicide capital, drug capital of none of it. Uh, we were in now yet together, Rankin Inlet. And I think that was it actually, just the four communities. Yeah, but multiple trips to Multiple trips. I Cape was up Dorset. eight or nine times this year to the Arctic. So a lot of trips just in the last year. And then this year we've already got planned. I'll be in four or five communities already by March. And that'll just be March and then potentially a sixth um, by March. And so it's just, it'd be crazy. Yeah. Back. So the, the, um, I don't know if program's the right word, but talk, can you talk about that? What, like, yeah. Yeah. So more or less, we're trying to almost create it like a program, but allow, leave a lot of room for Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so what we're doing now is creating, um, basically an open opportunity for people to apply to come on a short-term mission trip where over the course of eight weeks, we'll train them in culture, you know, cultural sensitivity, what's the history there. Cause it's really important in, in understanding the people, 
we'll train them in, you know, discipleship, how to make a disciple, how to share the, like your faith with people when we go out on the streets and just meet people. And, um, and just obviously team building. And so that's eight weeks, you know, we're going to train and raise people. So there's a program, so to speak, built into that, you know, a pattern and what we're going to follow. After that, we'll take you out on a trip, you know, seven days into a community. And it's just largely left open for room for the Holy Spirit. Like every, every person who leads our teams, I'm just like, hey, you'll have an itinerary. And this is what I believe even in our own lives. Like we have plans, like we have planners and calendars and things that need to be done. But at the end of the day, man, if you wake up and you feel like God's saying, hey, I want you to go to this place today and minister to these people, and that's going to take you three hours, and you need to cancel something in your plan, do it. I just want there to be such a sensitivity to Holy Spirit because we want, I don't want to be like Jacob has the answers. Jacob's program is the best. This is what's going to serve the Arctic. It's like God is the God of all people. He knows the people in the Arctic. He knows what they need. And I'm not there. (laughs) God's there. Yeah. Holy Spirit's in, in all the believers that are going. So why not raise up people who can be sensitive to Holy Spirit to be like, okay, we don't need to have service tonight. What we need to do tonight is have a youth service specifically for the youth. And we're going to blast them with the Holy Ghost and see people get delivered. That's exactly what happened when we went on a trip in October. Yeah. Go into the community center, share the gospel with 20 kids. We had one kid on the floor, weeping, crying, manifesting, getting delivered from a demon in the youth center because we just said, God, we're on like, we're here unhindered, no plans whatever you say we want to do. Yeah. And then when you come home because of the internet, we have opportunities now to stay connected with people. And so we're going to use the internet as like a discipleship tool. And so we've partnered with different ministries like disciple city E3 with some of their tools, Canadian Bible society, the Kenneth Copeland ministries um, have just provided tons of resources for pastors and training and basically use the internet to start raising up disciples there. You know, if they've never learned anything about the gospel, start them with alpha and the basics. And if they need, you know, depth to be able to use some of the, you know, um, EDS, um, every disciple sent video resources on, you know, the baptism of the Holy spirit, how to make a disciple baptism and all this stuff. So, and then on top of that, you're going to go back again in six months back into the community, see your disciples, see the community and just continue to build relationship, continue to build up the people there. And so we're just believing that as we do that and we just allow room for Holy Spirit, he's just going to come and and we're going to see communities, entire communities change and transformed because it's not just going to be Southerners coming up and having great trips, but it's actually going to be people in these communities who are called and equipped by God to then go into their own communities to see suicide stop, to see drug and alcohol addictions broken, to see people set free and baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. And that's really the heart of what we're doing is just trying to allow Holy Spirit to go and just setting kind of parameters for us to function in and allow him to do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And um, people can, where did it go? I just had it here, Jacob. The, The prayer group? Yeah, I just had it here on Facebook, and then it went and disappeared on me. Yeah, no problem. So Warriors we, of Hope. Warriors People of can hope. follow along at Warriors of Hope yeah. on Facebook yeah. to see these stories. Yeah, we had, um, uh, we're part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and a few years ago, I think it was in 2016 or so, the women's group for our district decided to pray for a community for an entire year. And so that's what they did. They, they did some projects in this community, but they, they just raised up all the women in this, in our entire district, just prayed and interceded for this community. They had a extremely high suicide rate. It was one of the highest in the Arctic at the time. And that calendar year, there was not a single suicide. And when they stopped at the end of January, started their new project, January 4th, it was that quick. January 4th, someone took their life. 
Wow. And so Bill and I were like, it's imperative that what we're doing is not just us going in and doing teams, but at the same time, raising up an army of people that would start interceding for these communities. Like this is, this is a part of Canada, right? And Baker Lake, which is a community, you know, we'd, we'd flew over on our way on our trip together is the, is the geographical center of Canada, right? So our geographical center is actually in Nunavut and we don't even think about it. We don't think about these people. We don't think about their culture. You know, they're in the cold, they're doing whatever. There's less people. Yeah. True. There are less people, but they're people and they're people who are loved by God and have for years had a misrepresentation through, you know, the church and state and just their history of atrocities. Yeah. Let's just call them that towards these people. And so now they're having an opportunity to really encounter love, encounter the Lord. And it's beautiful. So yeah, people can join on there. We post weekly like names of ministry leaders that are in the Arctic that need prayer. As we get prayer requests coming in from the North, we've got, you know, we'll just post on there and then we're specific on, you know, these are the communities that we're praying for, pray for them by name. Here's where they are. Here's a map. So people can lay hands on it and and physically be praying. So I think we've got an army now of about three or almost 400 people that are just praying specifically for the Arctic of Canada. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So Jacob, um, since I traveled with you, um, and even before just meeting Bill and stuff and sort of peaking an interest and like you say, like not realizing about that community, but I've researched stuff and gone on YouTube and you can actually find a lot of videos on YouTube of people who have gone to most specifically a Calloway because it's the capital and kind of do like the touristy yeah. YouTube thing, show you stuff, show you around the community. Right. Um, but not really stuff of the other 25 communities that you can fly to. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Cape Dorset and you've been there a bunch of times. Can you just yeah. describe or talk about Cape Dorset, the landscape, what it looks like, mm. and then what you guys felt in the spirit while you were there and yeah. some of your connections with the youth? Yeah. One of the significant things about a lot of the communities in the Arctic is that um, their history, they were so dependent. They were hunter gatherers, right? So hunting was a primary means of food for them. And so every community is on the water, um, whether that's like Baker Lake is on a lake or most of them are on uh, or have access to the ocean. So Cape Dorset's actually an island on the southern part of Baffin Island, which is on the strait between the Arctic Ocean and uh, the Hudson's Bay. So Arctic water. And so the landscape is just, it's incredible. Like I know now, yeah, it's very flat. Um, but Doris, it's just like, you've got these hills, almost like mountains, just covered in snow. It's beautiful. Um, homes, like uh, not quite modular homes, but kind of like what would be like a portable here, square houses, uh, not like a lot of architecture, but I mean, it's the Arctic. It's hard to <laughs> build beautifully, you know, articulate, articulate, really beautiful architecture there. Um, probably be costly to haul bricks up there and stuff <laughs> too, <time>. right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then like their primary way around, like there's no paved streets there. It's just gravel roads, you know, people riding around on quads and snowmobiles, not a lot of vehicles and stuff like that. So very different in that kind of setting, but then spiritually, um, like shamanism is huge, uh, to this day. Um, and, and it would be very similar to like witch doctors that we would find, you know, in South America and Africa. And the, their spiritual presence is still very strong. So in Cape Dorset, it was actually for hundreds of years, this gathering place where shamans from around the Arctic would meet and gather together to do their rituals and make sacrifices. And so 
on top of, you know, the difference in culture and, and environment that you're in, you're also now facing this spiritual heaviness. And then on top of that, um, you know, the, the church historically has been horrible. The uh, um, Catholic church, and, and this has all come out in the news. It's, it's not a, a secret anymore. Um, but one man in particular in the 90s in Cape Dorset sexually abused every young boy in the community. And so all those young boys are now adults and they're in their 30s and 40s who are now in turn abusing people. And so now there's a spiritual stronghold of sexual abuse that's come in from the church. And now there's a weariness within the people of the church itself right? because of its history. So now on top of all those things, you're just fighting this. At the end of it all, it's a great spiritual battle. And, and you know what? It's really important to highlight that exact thing, that it's a spiritual battle and it's not to point blame at a specific denomination or a specific church. There's a mistake of a man or people that cause these things that are overcome by an evil spirit, clearly. Yeah, Yeah, because we've we've actually met a lot of Inuit who had really good experiences in residential schools. And we hear, you know, there's a lot of atrocities, but a lot of the people, like, not a lot, but a good chunk of the people that we've interacted with had a decent experience there. And they were like, it's, it wasn't quite like it was described. And so even in that, like what you're saying is, is not every single residential school beat people and killed them. Not every person that was a Catholic minister was sexually assaulting people in their community. So there was good and there was bad, just like anywhere else in the world. Yeah. 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 And so that's, that's why the army of believers who are praying is so vital to what we're doing. And, um, do you want me to share what's going on with the fires too right now? Kurt? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I was just going to ask you to uh, share that. So I was just driving home from Ottawa and, um, on my way home, I just started interceding in the spirit, praying in tongues. And God began to show me visions of certain people that I was interceding for some of my friends. And, um, this young guy, he's, um, a musician, just, he had these beautiful songs and then just walked away from the Lord totally in the demonic now. And so I just like, I'm seeing them as I'm praying. And then all of a sudden it shifted and it was this really strong presence moment where I could see shamans and I knew who they were and I could see their faces. And I just started in tongues declaring like very authoritatively, I've never felt such boldness in prayer before. And I could see them and I was like speaking directly to them. So after like 10 minutes, whatever, I just felt to stop. So I stop and I'm just sitting in my car driving. And um, the Lord was like, you shifted something in the spirit. Now just watch and see what happens. And I was like, okay, this is great. Like I'm thinking, you know, revival's going to break out. Like the strongholds are broken. We're going to find out these shamans come out and be like, oh, everything's ruined. The next morning, man, one of our churches in Cape Dorset is literally on fire, not spiritually like burning for God. It was physically burning because someone lit it on fire. Mm. And it was like, oh, that's not good. And on top of that, one of our uh, ministers there, he was actually one of the ministers in the church was like, he's a fireman as well. And he said, uh, Jacob, there was a note on the, on the building as well left behind. And it said, there is a war going on between God and evil left on this building that's burning. And I was like, oh, that's the kind of battle that we're facing now. Yeah. And then two days later, um, our second, we have th- there's three churches there. The second of the three was burning and on fire. Two days later. Two days later. So now two churches in this community of about 1,200 have churches that are literally burning. 
And so I was like, okay. And it actually got me fired up because I was like, clearly the army of people, clearly the trips that we've taken where we saw people get set free from demons. And clearly that moment with these shamans was something that's bugging the devil. And the only response that he has is to go after the church building. That's it. That's all he has. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, burn them all. It's not going to stop the gospel. It's not going to stop people from getting saved. It's not going to stop the fact that Jesus died for us and he has authority and victory over everything that the devil could even try to do. It, it fired me up. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's but, exciting. Yeah. I mean, obviously like I'm not, I don't want to be insensitive. It is hard, extremely difficult for these communities losing their churches. Yeah. But in, in reality, it's just like here, we lose stuff, stuff gets stolen. It sucks. Yeah. But, but our, our citizenship, our kingdom is not of this world. We exist in an entirely different place. And that's, that's where it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Bring it on. Now the Christ, the, the Christians in that community that would have attended those churches, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, as terrible as that is because they've lost their their place to gather even though they can still obviously gather in houses and stuff have you talked to any of them or what what is their are they what what is their feeling are they kind of oh god's really moving here because there's pushback or what what is their feeling and vibe i think some of them are but i think just like any other believer as as we filter our lives through experiences that we've had we often then portray our situations on current events. And so because so many bad things have happened in the past, a lot of them are like, this is just another one of those bad things. And there is a group of them that are like, yeah, the devil's just upset. So let's just keep praying. And I think, and we have a, a couple of our guys going up, uh, their leaders into that community, James Park and Travis Annette, and next month. And part of them going up is just to encourage the saints to be like, Hey, what's going on here? This isn't because, you know, you're living in sin. This isn't because God's angry at you. This is, this is the devil. And so we're actually going to encourage the saints at the same time, not just do all this correction and teaching, but then to go and and support them and be like, Hey, God's, God's on the move. And, And we've already been doing that online. Like Travis, because their leaders in that community work very closely with our, our leadership there. And it's been on the phone with them, talking with them, being like, hey, guys, like, don't give up. Keep going. And, and so we've been able to, because of the Internet and phone calls now, be able to start interacting with them a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. Um, and you and I got to go together to now yet. Right on the Arctic Circle. Right on the Arctic Circle. The only community in Canada that's actually physically on the Arctic Circle. Hey. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was wild. It was amazing. Minus 40, not cold. Yeah. <laughs> not, not cold. cold. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were told by our friend David that we stayed with, who's 70, right? 70. Yeah. That's amazing. not cold. Not cold. Minus 70. That's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize actually there is 26 communities that you can reach by plane. How, do you know offhand how many communities there are in total? I have no idea. That was only the number I understood. Um, Because obviously there's way more. Yeah. Some of those those communities are like um, our friend Ian Kirkland was up in the high, high, high Arctic, as high as you can go. And that's a community. It's like military and like government personnel only. Yeah. That would be one of those communities that you can go into. 
So it's not like Inuit live in that community, but it is a community that exists. Yeah. And so there are communities that are like mining towns. There's mines. Like, I don't know how many people know this in Canada. We have some of the best diamond mines in the world in, in our land. And, um, and so that would be a part of that too. So I don't know how many exist outside of that or if they all have access to airplanes and stuff. Yeah. I was just wondering if there were some smaller ones that were, yeah, you know, cause there David, be. David talked about snowmobiling to another community that was yeah. a day's ride. <laughs> yeah. We could never do that, but he could. Yeah. No, I couldn't it's do amazing. that. And I used to snowmobile all the time and <laughs> it's different when it's minus 40 blowing in your face and oh, yeah. you're riding a snowmobile for 12 hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Jacob, what's, what are you, so we know you shared what's in store for this year, Mm -hmm. for the coming up this year with all the different teams going to the different communities. Um, what are your, what are your hopes, you and Bill's hopes Mm. for the Arctic over, let's say the next two years? I think our primary thing is to see the believers there be encouraged and equipped and, and start, and we've heard this in their language already, like in the way that they're talking to really just step up and to like, we want to partner with them and encourage them just like EDS is doing to be like, Hey, believers, you got to step up. It's your time. Like Adam and Todd can't reach all of Canada by themselves. Jacob and Bill can't reach the entire Arctic by themselves. And we're not meant to, Yeah. but what we're meant to do is encourage and empower the believers to then start reaching out to their own people. And so I think, you know, in two years, if we're hearing stories and testimonies in every community where we've got believers who are sharing the gospel and seeing and hearing, you know, testimonies of healings and deliverances and people who are, you know, oppressed, depressed and all these things getting set free. I think that that's a win is just having believers there. I'm not even saying big numbers, one or two in every community. We're like, yeah, we're going to do this. This is what Jesus paid for yeah. for us to live this so that others could encounter the love and the power of God. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, social media plug. Can you tell us all the Facebook things and, and if people are really encouraged by what you and Bill are doing up there, how they can contribute and stuff. Can you just give us all that? Yeah, of course. So as we talked about with our Warriors of Hope Facebook page, uh, you can just literally type that in on Facebook. It, it only exists there currently. And I'd like to expand prayer group to make it bigger over time. But Warriors of Hope, just type that in and you can join the group. You can also join our Facebook page, which is Bill Prankard Evangelistic Association. Or you can just type in Bill Prankard on Facebook and it will come up and you will see it there. And, and that's where we'll post uh, our schedules as far as when we're traveling, um, when Bill and I are ministering across Canada and information on you know all our trips to the Arctic and stuff. And you also go to our website, which is just B-P-E-A. It's an acronym for Bill Prankard Evangelistic Association.com or just Google Bill Prankard. And again, that will pop up. And there you can find all the information on, you know, the prayer group, links to the prayer groups there, links to the history of what Bill's been doing. There's teaching resources there for people that want encouragement or to learn more. Uh, You can apply to actually come to the Arctic with us on this website. And you can email me there too if you have more questions and want to learn more about the Arctic and where we're going and who's going and, and all that stuff. So it's all there. The video on YouTube that we were looking at in the green room, that's out yeah. Cause it, I've seen it. Yeah. yeah so on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh it's about a five minute video, just kind of explaining um, with some videos of, of what the Arctic trips look like, you know, 
the financial costs of this whole thing and just the expense, the reality of what traveling in the Arctic is like. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's, it's actually the most expensive place to travel right now in Canada. It's actually the most expensive place that you can go to leaving Toronto Pearson. It would cost, it costs more for us, me and Todd to go up to the Arctic <laughs> than it would for us to fly to Australia, which is insane. It's ridiculous. And it's uh, what, four hours of plane rides. And compared to what twenty hours to get to Australia, right? Sixteen hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you can travel any in the world, anywhere in the world, cheaper than you can to the Arctic, and that's a big reason why people don't go. Uh, four of us went to one community into Cape Dorset in October, and it cost uh, how much was it? Fourteen thousand dollars for four people. Yeah. And this isn't first class. This is just you know in the back of a plane, <laughs> and whatever you got. Yeah. And so we need an army of people praying, an army of people sewing into what we're doing. And then an army of people that will go. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. So uh, please check those things out. Jacob, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing yeah, about you. what you're doing. Yeah, it's amazing. Th- thank you even more so yeah. for you guys uh, inviting me to actually experience this firsthand. Yeah. Uh, all the trips that I've done have been, you know, life-changing because it's yeah. the culture yeah. and, and yeah. seeing God move. But um, like you said, just to see that of our own country. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to getting back. I'd like to ask you a question. I know this is your show. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I really want to hear, and I think it'd be good. What was what was the highlight for you going into a community? Because it is so different than anywhere else in the world. But now that you've been back and have had time to kind of digest it, what was your highlight from our trip together? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the high, the, well, I'll give you a, sort of a in the natural highlight and a spiritual one but yeah, in the yeah. natural is how much the people love it mm. like they love it there yeah it's their home yeah. and they love it whereas most people would be i would never live there blah 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 right right but just how much they love their culture mm. and where they live and yeah. i remember that young girl at the co-op yeah saying uh when we mentioned the temperature of her saying, I love this weather. Yeah. I hate the summer. Never heard anyone say that in my life. I hate the summer. Yeah. You were asking her to go swimming. Yeah. Don't you like to swim? And she she said to me, I don't know how to swim. Nobody here knows how to swim. That's why there's no pools. Right. And then I thought, yeah, I guess the Northwestern passage is probably a little chilly for swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that was the the highlight sort of that way. Mm. Um, But also spiritually to see that, you go to a different community. Mm. It's a different language. Yeah. The people look different, right? Like it's, it's almost like it's so different. It's like being in a different country. Yeah. But when we gathered and had our church service, mm. it was the same. Yeah. Cause we're all God's children. Yeah. And the way people worship and the way people connected with God and the way God touched those people, mm. uh, was the same. Wow. And it just, that was just such a, a highlight. Yeah. of how real God is. And they're all his kids, regardless of where they live, mm. what they look like. Right. They're all his children. He loves them all. And he wants to touch us all. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's so good. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah. I should have pressed the button. I could have ended it with a song. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different. Oh, it's great. Final question for you. Yeah. Um, as you grew up at the beginning of the show, and you talked about how you wanted to do things and you felt like God was telling you he wanted you to do something else, but you didn't really realize Mm. that God was speaking to you in that way. Yeah. Um, if you go on one of these trips and you take somebody really, really young, 
what, what, what would you say to them to help them process that they're actually hearing God's voice and it's not just something that they're thinking in their head? Mm. That's a great question. I, just as, as a rule of thumb, when it comes to hearing the Lord, the first one is like, there's, there's thoughts that we have where it's like, okay, if I tell you to think of a purple elephant, you know, the first thing you're going to, it's just going to pop into your head. But if you're praying and all of a sudden you have a thought that you don't normally think about, like it just, I'm preparing to go to BC this week for trips. And as I've been praying for this trip, I just start getting words of knowledge about people that need healing. It's so like, as I'm praying and just asking God, you know, teach me and show me what you want me to speak. And God's like, there's a woman with spina bifida. You're going to pray for her and she's going to get healed. Okay. That's not, <laughs> that's not a normal thought that people just sit down on the couch and think spina bifida. Right. So it's like when there's things like that, where they're just like so different and in line with the character of God, right? If I start having these thoughts of like, I should kill myself. That's not a me thought. That's not a good thought. But there's this way where God just speaks to us because he's, he's just so gentle where it just lines up with his redemption plan, right? Where it lines into like, hey, you're going to see the sick get healed. Hey, I want you to go serve in this community. Hey, I'm going to call you into something that's different. That's, that's to me when, when God just speaks and it's different and there's peace and it lines up with the word of God. I think that's, that's the highlight of that's the God who created everything speaking to us. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. It is. Thanks for sharing with us today, Jacob. Thanks, Todd. As we, as we hear often on the show about how God wants to speak to us, friends, God wants to speak to everyone. And surely he's speaking to you. I've just, well, I've, I've said this before, but man, if he's speaking to Jacob, surely he's speaking to you too. And like Jacob said when he was younger and he, he made a choice and said, oh God, you sent me here. But God's like, I didn't send you there. You chose that. So we have that free will to choose. He's given us free will. But when we listen to him and what he wants us to do for him just changes everything in our lives I just encourage you to listen to him to seek to hear his voice knock and the door will be opened he's the king of kings who gave his son for the whole world.